Amen. Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 18. Uh, Exodus 18 will be our text this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through the book of Exodus together. Uh, if you've been with us in our study, you know that we're at the point now where uh, Moses and the Hebrews have uh, made their way out of Egypt. They've been brought safely through the Red Sea. They're on their journey towards the land of promise that the Lord has called them to. Along the way, they've met many different trials, they've met many different obstacles, but we've seen God provide for them every step of the way. And today, in this text, we will find Moses recounting some of those things as he shares with Jethro, his father-in-law, about what the Lord has done. Uh, We first met Jethro there in Exodus chapter 2 when Moses was fleeing from Egypt. Uh, He comes to Jethro, who the text tells us is a priest of Midian. And uh, we see that he end up, ends up marrying uh, one of Jethro's daughters. Uh, Jethro blesses him and sends him on his way as he sends Moses and his daughter and his grandsons, uh, Moses and Zipporah's children, uh, back to Egypt. Uh, and all that we've read takes place. And now as they come out, we find this reunion between Moses and Jethro. And in it, uh, I think we find an encouragement when it comes to our need to tell our story our salvation story to others and to see how God leads them to respond. So we're going to look at Exodus chapter 18, just the first 12 verses this Lord's Day. And because this is the holy word of God, if you would stand as I read it for us this morning. This is what God's inspired word says to us. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. And the name of the other was Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help. And delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law, all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God you would pray with me father this is your word and i pray that you would use it today in our lives 
Lord, that you would use it to call us to repentance, that you would use it to call us to faith, that you would use it to call us to trust in you. Lord, help the gospel to be clear. Help us to be attentive to it. And Lord, lead us to respond. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. I would imagine that we are all alike in the sense that we like to hear good news. You know, we like it when people come to us with good news, when kids come to us and tell us about a, a good grade they got or how they won a game or, or for little ones when they come to tell us that great news that they've lost a tooth. That news isn't so great for us as adults when we lose a tooth, but for, for kids, they celebrate that. As we get older, our teenagers come to us excited because they've passed their driving test or they've, they've made their plans for after high school and we rejoice with them in good news. As adults, we continue to share good news. We like to share about uh, job promotions or marriage proposals or birth announcements. As we grow older, even the announcement of grandchildren being born. Uh, we love to share good news and we love to hear good news. In fact, I would imagine that when someone says to you, I've got some good news and bad news, you kind of shriek at the bad news, but you want to hear the good news. Uh, especially when the good news kind of overshadows at times the bad news. Well, that's how we are. We like to hear good news. And what we find in this text today is that Jethro has now come and he's now meeting with Moses and Moses has some good news to share with him. He's got the good news of how God has delivered them, how they made their way out of slavery, out of Egypt, how God moved miraculously in bringing those plagues against the Egyptians, how God parted the waters of the Red Sea, how God rained down manna from heaven. There is lots of good news to share with Jethro. And as we see Moses sharing this good news with Jethro, we find a response from Jethro, one in which he praises God for what he's done and so we see before us this this pattern in the scripture that that God's people are called to share good news and that excitement of when people respond to good news and that pattern continues forth until we get into the New Testament and we see the church growing very much in this way the disciples sharing the the good news of the gospel people responding to that good news and the church of Jesus Christ being built and so today, as we walk through these first 12 verses of Exodus 18, I want us to have those things in mind, to consider how God has called us today, very much as he called Moses in his day, to share the good news with others, and to consider then what happens when others like Jethro respond in favor to that good news. And so we'll begin with the first point there in your outline, this reminder for us that salvation leads to proclamation. Salvation leads to proclamation. Or you might say it this way, saved people have a story to tell. And when we are saved, we then have a story. And that's what we see here in this text. Moses and the Israelites were a saved people. We've looked at this picture of how when they were in Egypt, they were slaves. They were ruled by a wicked, evil king, Pharaoh. God sends his deliverer, Moses, to come and to rescue them. And then God, through Moses, brings them out of their slavery 
through the waters and saves his people. And now they are on a journey to the promised land. And they have a story to tell. They have good news to share. And it tells us here in the text in verse 1 that some of that good news has already made its way to Jethro. Now, it tells us Jethro heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. The question might come to mind, well, how did Jethro know these things? It wasn't like Jethro could turn on the news or pick up the paper or check his Twitter feed or listen to messages on his cell phone, get a text. You think about today when something happens on the other side of the world, how quickly we can hear about it. How news travels so fast. But in this context, in this age, you don't have any of those things. So in order for Jethro to hear about this, someone had to tell him about this. Now this could have happened a couple of ways. It could have been that his word just traveled through shepherds and different people who were traveling and sojourning, that eventually that word made it up to Jethro. Or it could be that someone went with the intention of telling Jethro and I think perhaps that may be the case here. Because notice what we learned there in verse 2 and following. When Jethro comes to Moses, he brings with him Zipporah. Zipporah was Jethro's daughter. Zipporah was married to Moses. And Moses and Zipporah had two sons. And what the text tells us here is that at some point, Moses had sent his wife and his two sons to the in-laws. He had sent them to Jethro. And I think when they went to Jethro, perhaps they went bearing much of this news. Now, we don't know from the text when it was that Zipporah and the boys went to Jethro. And so there's speculation here. Some speculate that perhaps Moses sent them on all the way back before the plagues out of fear that something might happen to them. Some suggest that it would have been after the plagues but before the exodus. But the text doesn't tell us. And I really don't think the text gives us reason to believe that, Joseph, or that Moses would have sent his family away in a place that they wouldn't have seen these miraculous works of God. In fact, notice the name of his second son, Eleazar. That, that name means the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Even that name is a testimony to what God did for Moses and for the Israelites in bringing them out of Egypt. Now, I think perhaps what we see here is that once they're on their way, once they're through the Red Sea, once they're at this point when they're about to go to the mountain of God, that they're now in the same vicinity as where Zipporah was from, where Jethro would have been. And so Moses sends her and the boys up there to give this report to his father-in-law. Because we read in the text back in Exodus 17 that they're at Horeb. If you remember just a couple Lord's Days ago when we were talking about this, you've got that picture of the people of God crying out for water. And the Lord says that he's going to stand on the rock and he tells Moses to strike the rock. And he tells us that rock was at Horeb. Well, Horeb was the exact same place in the scripture that we read about earlier in Exodus where the Lord came and spoke to Moses through the burning bush. And that happened while Moses was watching over his father-in-law's flock. And so geographically, if you were to look at a map, you would find that Moses and the Israelites are really in the same vicinity now as Jethro and where Zipporah would have grown up at. And so it makes sense that now that they're back in that area, Moses would have sent his wife and his boys to his father-in-law's 
And at that point, I think they would have shared with him, with Jethro, about everything that the Lord had done. But there was still more to share. And so we read in verses 7 and 8 here that Moses goes out to meet his father-in-law. And after they have their initial greetings, he shares with Jethro about all that the Lord had done. Now, I want you to just kind of imagine this scenario for a second. You've got Moses meeting with Jethro. They have their pleasantries. But then they go into the tent and the text tells us what takes place. Moses shares with Jethro all about the things that God had done. But imagine if he hadn't. Now imagine for a second if Jethro had come to Moses and said, Moses, the poor told me about the plagues in Egypt. I mean, she told me about how the, the Lord turned the river to blood. So she told me about how darkness covered the land. She told me about the death of the firstborn and how God passed over those of faith and how God miraculously led y'all out of Egypt. Moses, tell me more about that. And imagine if Moses just looked at his father-in-law and said, eh, you know, yeah, God did that stuff. But Jethro, tell, tell me about you, man. Tell me what's going on, Jethro. Tell me about your herd and your flock. I bet it's gotten huge by now. I bet you're worth so much more by now. Jethro, tell me about you. Jethro probably would have looked a bit confused at Moses and maybe answered a few questions, but then perhaps he would go on to say, well, Moses, I, I've heard from my daughter about how, how you were in this position where Pharaoh's army was coming from one side to crush you and how on the other side was this great impasse of this sea and how God opened up the waters and you walked through it on dry land. Moses, I can barely imagine that. Tell me what that was like. And imagine again if Moses said, oh, well, you know, it's another miracle of God. But Jethro, tell me, how are your other kids doing? How are your grandkids doing? Hopefully it would be hard for us to imagine that scenario because it really doesn't make much sense, does it? I mean, why would Jethro come to Moses and him ask about these works of God and Moses tell him about anything other than the works of God? In fact, why would Moses, even if Jethro didn't ask, why would he not tell him about the saving work of God? Well, why would he waste his time talking to him about his herds and his flock and his kids and his grandkids? He has experienced the saving work of God. We expect that he will tell of the saving work of God. Now bring that home. How often do we have the opportunity to talk about the saving work of God and we talk about flocks and herds and kids and grandkids? Tell me about that game. Oh, man, what a game. Oh, it was some game, wasn't it? Did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, did you hear about this? Or how's your job going? Or how's this? Oh, man, I bet you got a good deal on that car, didn't you? And that's our conversations. And I don't think that in and of itself is sinful that we talk about those things. But imagine those who have experienced the saving work, the miraculous work of God, the God who brought dead people to life, the God who sent his son to die on a cross for our sins, who went to the grave and walked out of the grave, and then that God demonstrating his love toward you and me that while we were yet sinners, Christ died on our behalf. 
that miraculous work that God has done, no less miraculous or more miraculous than what we see him do throughout Exodus. And yet so often our conversations don't go that direction. And that good news remains untold. And yet we've got this picture in the scripture that that our salvation should lead to proclamation. Friends, if you have experienced the saving work of God, you and I have a story to tell. And we live in a world that desperately needs to hear our story. Because our story is really his story. And that's the story the world needs to hear. And that's why whenever I have the opportunity to see someone through sharing the gospel with them, see them place their faith in our Lord Jesus Christ to repent and turn from their sins, whenever I have that opportunity to see when someone move from death to life, from darkness to life, to light, the first thing I'll say to them is, who are you going to tell? <laughs> and what I've found is that those who are brand new believers, whether they're 8 years old or 18 years old or 38 years old, those brand new believers are a lot more inclined to say, oh yeah, I need to tell somebody. I need to go tell somebody. I'll never forget a young man years ago that had the opportunity to, to talk to about the Lord at WKU, that this young man came out of just a, a dark background. He'd struggled with addiction. He'd struggled with all types of things. And God in his providence had placed a Christian in his life this Christian had talked to him about the gospel, and, and this believer introduced me to him. And so we get lunch with this young man and share the gospel, share the gospel, share the gospel. And, and then we finally get to this point where he places his faith in Christ. And so after he, he responds to the gospel and places his faith in Christ, I remember looking at him one day. We're sitting there having lunch and saying, man, who, who is there in your life that needs to hear this story? And he just looked up at me and he said, Everybody. <laughs> Nobody I know knows this. And so he was so excited to go tell friend after friend, family member after family member about the Lord. And I remember his excitement, and he would share with them, listen, I, I was dead and now I'm alive. I remember him saying to me, it's like I'm breathing fresh air for the first time. He was so excited to share about his faith in Christ. And I compare that often with so many of us who have grown up in the church, who have heard the gospel over and over again, perhaps who responded to it long ago, and yet we never, so many of us never, talk to another person about the gospel or share the gospel in a way where we're seeking to show that person what they need to do to respond to the gospel. Friends, if we have truly been saved, then we have a story to tell. And the scripture tells us that over and over again. David in Psalm 145 says, Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. David says, listen, I would tell you about the greatness of God, but I can't describe the greatness of God. And yet, one generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. David says, this is what should be on our tongues. We should be speaking about the greatness of God. Isaiah commends fathers. He says, fathers, you need to make known to your children the faithfulness of God. Jesus in Luke 8, 
You remember that encounter he has with the demoniac, the man so oppressed by demons that the folks in the city, his family members, have chained him up outside of town. Jesus encounters him. He frees him. He responds in new life, this man. And then Jesus says to him, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Saved people have a story to tell. And yet, what do we so often talk about? Do we talk about the God who saved us? Or the team that disappointed us? Or maybe got us excited, and then they disappointed us. I realize I'm on sensitive territory here to even dare bring up March Madness in Kentucky. But let me just bring it up. pastor in Kentucky who put a little thing out on social media to his congregation to anybody who follows him said so excited about Kentucky basketball he says if we we win this first game in the sweet 16 I'm gonna shave my head he shaved his head next game they lost he's bald I can imagine the conversations on Sunday morning had a lot to do with his bald head. Now hear this. If bald-headedness brings people to faith in Christ, we need a bigger building. I don't have to shave my head for Kentucky basketball. God has done it for me. If my bald-headedness will glorify God, then praise God, I'm glorifying him. But so often, what do we do? We get so sidetracked about these other things and these other stories, and we tell these little itty-bitty minuscule storylines, and we forget to tell the big story. And there's two reasons for that. One is you don't know what it is. One is we've never truly experienced the saving work of God. And so let me just give it to you real quick. God created a perfect world and he put Adam and Eve in it. Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God and disobeyed him. And with that came the fall and came sin. With their disobedience, there was a great gulf between us and God and they rightly deserved the punishment of God and the wrath of God. Given the opportunity to show how good we are, generation after generation after generation, we have sinned and sinned and sinned and sinned. We do not deserve to be in the presence of a holy God. God showed His grace toward us. God demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners in our darkness, Christ died for us. God said all the way back in the garden to Adam and Eve, he would send a redeemer who would crush the head of the enemy. And that's exactly what he did on the cross with his son, who was truly God and truly man. And he on that cross did what you and I cannot do. He perfectly obeyed the Father. And he took on the wrath that every one of us in the world deserves for our sin. And in doing that, he defeated and conquered sin and death because they put him in a grave and three days later he rose. And we celebrate as believers that resurrection because our salvation is 100% based in it. 
So our gospel is not a gospel of, look at how hard we're trying and how good we're doing. Our gospel is a gospel of, look at how messed up we are, and yet God still accepts us as we repent and place our faith in him. And so we have this this fabulous story to tell. And one of the reasons we don't tell it is because we're not even in it. We think we're in it. We get dressed up and we come to church on Sunday. We've never truly repented and placed our faith in Christ. But there's a lot of us who have, and we're still not telling that story. And perhaps it's because we're just distracted. (laughs) We're distracted by so many things in the world. Perhaps we've forgotten that God calls us to tell this story because through this story, He is bringing others to faith. Which we see here in this passage, point two. We saw that salvation leads to proclamation, but we also see that proclamation leads to salvation. So as we are saved, we have a story to tell. And as we tell this great story about the saving work of God, we see God save other people. Notice what happens here with Moses. He has this story to tell about the salvation God has brought to the Israelites. He shares this story with Jethro. Verse 9 says, Jethro, rejoice. And so Jethro's first response to this news is, praise God. Praise God that he saved you guys. Praise God that he led you through the water. Praise God for his provision for you. Praise God. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 10, he blesses the name of the Lord. And then verse 11, he makes this great confession. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods. We don't know a tremendous amount about Jethro's faith leading up to this point. We know that he was a priest of Midian. And we know that the Midianites were enemies of God. And we know that Midianites, like many others around them, they worshipped a plurality of gods. So much like the Egyptians had all these different gods they worshipped, the god of the sun, the god of the river, that they too, the Midianites, had other gods they worshipped. We call that polytheism, a, a multitude of gods they worshipped. And so because Jethro was a priest of Midian, there's a fair indication there that one, he didn't worship Yahweh as the one true God, that if he worshipped Yahweh at all, he worshipped him as one of many gods. And two, that he was a part of a group of people who were considered one of Israel's enemies. And we see, for example, in Genesis 27, if you remember when Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers, what actually happened there was his brothers handed him off to the Midianites. And the Midianites were the ones who sold him to the Ishmaelites into slavery. We see in Judges 6 and 7 that it's the Midianites who later raided Israel in the days of Gideon. And the clearest thing we see in the scripture that says that the Midianites were enemies of God is in Numbers 25 where God told the Israelites, treat the Midianites as enemies and kill them. And so what we have here is one who has come from a people who are enemies of God, who who is a priest of a plurality of God. He hears about the great works of God, and then his great confession is, now, now, now I know that, that this is the one true God. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all the gods. See, what Jethro comes to see, and what we see here in this passage, is just a a preview, a glimpse of what God says his kingdom work is to look like. We, we often think about 
missions as a New Testament command that, that we're called to go to the nations in the New Testament. Jesus says, go to the nations. We often think about, well, the Old Testament, you've got Israelites are just God's people. In the New Testament, you've got this command to go to the nations. But friends, there's always been a command there to go to the nations. You see it here in Exodus 18. Moses doesn't turn to Jethro and say, oh, wait, Jethro forgot, you're not Israelite, you can't come in. No, we actually see a command in the Old Testament for God's people to be a light to the nations. Isaiah 42, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness, I will take you by the hand and keep you, I will give you as a covenant for the people, as a light for the nations. Now, let's bring this down. When do you need a light? When you're in, all right, so you need a light in darkness. So God says these nations are in darkness, that they are literally making up gods to worship. And he says to his people, I want you to go, and I want you to shine the light there. And we see this theme continue through until the light of the world comes. And Jesus then gives that command to us, go into the world, Mark 16, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And so this is why we go to the world with the gospel, to the nations and to our neighbor, because they need to hear this story. So, so just to be clear here, the call for us as Christians isn't just to get in this holy huddle and, and to bubble ourselves in and to build up a wall around us and say, well, if we, if we just stay to each other, we're going to be okay from this, this desperately dark world out there. Now the call from Scripture is for us to come together and for us to worship and for us to proclaim the goodness of God and then for us to go out and share it with everyone. The end goal is for other people to worship the God we worship. The end goal is for us to take this gospel to the nations, to people who don't look like us and talk like us, to take the gospel to our neighbor who may look like us and talk like us but be dead on the inside. And the call for us is to go so that they too might have a story to tell and they too might have a God to worship. This brings us to the third point in your outline there. Proclamation and salvation should result in adoration. Adoration is worshipped. Our end result of proclaiming the gospel, of seeing people come to faith in the gospel of our Lord Jesus should be that we gather and we worship. Verse 12 here. We see a picture of this. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, comes and he brings a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And so that this in this context is him worshiping, acknowledging that this is the one true God. He is worshiping him. And then notice what happens here. And then Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. And so what we see here happening with Jethro is a picture of what we need to see in the church today. That, that people who come to faith in Christ then gather with the people of Christ and then together they worship Christ. See friends, you were, you were created to worship. And some of you might think, well, you know, I, Pastor, I don't know, I just don't, I don't get that into it. I don't get that much out of it. Me, 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 I, 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 I. You, you, you in this room, we all worship something. 
bring back in the March Madness illustration. Well, I don't know, Pastor, I feel a bit uncomfortable uh, bringing myself into a room full of people and, and singing. Unless it's a fight song! I, you know, I just, I'm kind of more of an introvert. I'm kind of reserved. You know, I, I'm not very expressive. Unless they just won! We're going to the championship. I'm hugging people I don't know. I just burned my neighbor's couch. But I'm not that into worship. Oh, you're into it. This is more timely. Basketball teams make poor gods, don't they? As do people. As do jobs. As do spouses and kids and grandkids. As does anything of this world. God has called us to worship him and to worship him alone. And, and that's this picture we see here of God bringing this pagan polytheistic priest into the kingdom where he is now worshiping with the people and it's a foretaste of what one day Moses and Jethro and you and I are going to be a part of and friends in our world today in this world of sickness and trial and suffering and disappointment what we desperately need to remember is this is not the end and God has called us as best we can, to set our sights beyond this world into that world that's coming. And He, in His goodness, has given us a taste of what that world looks like. Revelation chapter 7. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. From every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Every tribe, tongue, and language. It's going to look a little different than Bloomfield Baptist on Sunday morning. Amen? It's going to be people that don't look like us and we don't look like them. But notice there, we're, we're in these white robes. That's not a uniform policy in a new heaven and new earth. That is symbolic. We have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. We're, we're not gathering, showing up, thinking, oh, I can't believe I did that last night. Oh, I hope nobody knows about that. We are cleansed by the blood. We are worshiping the one true God. And we come together. And friends, that is where we are to look. And that is the only thing as a believer that will get you through the trials and the sufferings of this world. No vacation, no basketball team, no anything else. It's going to satisfy the deepest need in your life and in my life. And so, friends, that's our story. <laughs> and God's called us to tell it. And so why wouldn't he? Well, again, either we've not experienced it, which we can deal with that right now. <laughs> the Scripture says that if you'll confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You come into this family and you worship with us just like Jethro did with Moses. Or we don't share it because our priorities are so out of order and we're so consumed with the things of this world. 
Friends, if the only time you give thought to this is right now, I mean, I, I come into this pulpit knowing I've got 30, 40 minutes to try to speak to you against seven days of a bunch of garbage. If this is the only time you're hearing it and thinking about it, then you lose. You're not going to tell that story to anybody. We have to saturate our minds and our hearts with the Word of God. We have to wake up every day remembering God saved us for a purpose and He's left us here for a purpose. And there are people who desperately need to hear the story of God's salvation around us. And so, friends, we have a story to tell. And so I would encourage you, Tell it while you can. I'm going to ask us to pray uh, for Bob Robinson today. And I don't think it's a shock for you to know that Bob is not doing well. He won't be having any more treatments. And we are praying for God to be gracious to him and to ease his suffering. Daryl Hart and I had a chance to go to Bob's house on Tuesday and to help him get into a van so he could go to the hospital. And this man whose body has eaten up with cancer, who was in pain, and Daryl could tell you didn't have much to say, couldn't talk very much while we were there, he stopped us to say this. And I share this with you on his behalf. Get right with the Lord today. He said, just a few weeks ago, I was in the church parking lot cooking pork chops. Get right with the Lord today. He told us, tell everybody you talk to, they need to get right with the Lord. And friends, here's, here's the good news from God's word and the good news from a friend who's suffering. Is that you can be right with the Lord today. And it has absolutely nothing to do with what you bring to the table. So that wasn't a call for us to go out and try to be better dads and better husbands and do things better. It was a call to repent and confess and repent and confess and trust that the Lord Jesus Christ is our only hope. He's our only hope in death and He's our only hope in life. So friends, I hope that we will heed God's Word from His Word and God's Word from His people. I hope we will put our trust and our hope in Him. I hope we will be a people who share this story with others because, friends, they desperately need to hear it. And we're coming into this season where people who usually have nothing to do with the church, for whatever reason, Easter Sunday, they're going to get prettied up and they're going to walk through these doors. And there's, there's an opportunity there for us to share the gospel with them. We, we have an opportunity this next week as kids are out of school and parents are not knowing what to do with their kids while they're out of school, we have an opportunity to say, hey, we'd love to bring them into the church during this vacation Bible school. We have this opportunity every day to turn to people we know and that we're around and say to them, listen, I know that most of our conversation has had to do with basketball teams and stuff at work, but i got to tell you, I don't know that I've ever told you about the most important thing in my life. And that's my relationship with my Lord Jesus. And just to graciously take a moment to tell them what the Word says about the Lord. 
that, that's the call God's put on our life, friends. That's why we're still here. Every one of us in this room is a follower of Christ. We're a missionary. And we have a story to tell. And so I pray that we will tell it. If you would stand together and pray to that end with me this Lord's Day. <coughs> Father, I, I thank you that when I was a freshman in college, that, that you put believers in my life. I thank you, God, that a man named Shane came to my door one day and told me about the gospel. I thank you for my roommate, Ronnie, who told me about the gospel. I thank you for the people you put in my life, Lord, that told me about the gospel. And I thank you for the work you did in my heart that I might come to understand and respond to the gospel. And, Lord, I confess there are so many people and there's so many opportunities I've missed. And Lord, I would imagine most of us in this room might have a similar confession. There's, there's so many conversations, there's so many days we go through without ever talking to others about you, perhaps without ever really giving serious thought to you ourselves. And so Lord, I pray this morning that we wouldn't leave with a, with a burden that we've got to do something. But, Lord, that we would leave with a burden that you are doing something and you've invited us into it. You have a story that you are telling all over the globe today. And you've invited us, your people, to be a part of that process. And there are Jethro's among us, Lord. There are those who believe that, that you're just one of many gods. Christianity is just one of many religions. There are those who don't know you around us. So, Lord, I pray you would just empower us with your spirit to talk to someone, to talk to someone about the gospel. And, Lord, that you would do the work there. And that the end result might be, Lord, that as we gather to worship, we gather with those who have used us in that process of seeing them come to faith. I thank you, Lord, for Bob, and I thank you, God, for the witness he has been over these last few weeks in the hospital and his pain and suffering that as I've been there with him, Lord, that he's talked to every nurse and every doctor about his faith and invited them to faith, Lord. And I thank you for that. I pray, God, that you would help us to be that bold about our faith. I pray, God, that you would ease his suffering. And I thank you, Lord, that you have promised him and you've promised us a day when there is no more suffering. And a day, Lord, when we worship before the throne. And so, God, I, I pray that you would just push back all this other stuff that consumes our thoughts and minds and just help us, Lord, as we worship you today to, to focus on what your word says, that the day will come when we gather around the throne and, and we praise you together with the nations. And so, Father, as we pray and as we sing and as we consider that, Lord, if, if there are people that you would have us share with this week, I pray you put those names and those faces on our hearts now that we would even pray for them now during this time of response. God, God, if we are here this morning, if there's someone here this morning who hasn't trusted in you, who hasn't surrendered their life to you, I pray they would do that. And Lord, we ask that you would do this work in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Church family, as we sing, we invite you to pray as well. I'd invite you to pray for Bob and for his family. I'd invite you to pray for lost people in your lives and in my life that God might do a work in their lives. Pray that we would have boldness to talk to others about the gospel. Pray about the great work God has done in your life. Thank him for that work and pray that he would 
enable and embolden you and I to share it with others. And so we invite you to respond. I'll be here. I'll be glad to pray with any of you, to talk with any of you more about the gospel, about church membership. Other pastors will as well. Uh, but we invite everyone today to consider what response might God might be leading you to.